podcast where liberty is our mission today is friday july 19th 2013 this is podcast number 331 and my name is ben stone at pork fest in 2012 i met daryl perry and he was a wonderful guy and i got to uh see him again at the liberty forum in 2013 and then i again i got to see him at pork fest 10 this year uh 2013 And uh, Daryl and I uh, were fortunate enough to sit down and have a nice lunch together with my daughter, Kai, and we had a really good discussion. And Daryl asked if I could come on his show, which is called Peace, Love, Love, Liberty Radio. And so I was honored uh, last week to go on that show with Daryl, and we talked about a variety of things. We One of the main things that Daryl wanted to talk about was the issue of voting. So uh, so I got to talk to Daryl about that, and we had, I think, a really good show, a really good discussion. So I thought maybe you'd like to hear it. If you're a listener of the LRN, you may have already heard this, but I trimmed it up a bit and took out some of the... Um, you know, some of the commercials and things like that. So I hope you enjoy it. Here is my interview with Daryl Perry on Peace, Love, Liberty Radio. Welcome back to Peace, Love, Liberty Radio, online at radio.fpp.cc. And as I mentioned before the news, this is hour number two. This is interview hour. And my guest this week is Ben Bad Quaker Stone. Ben it's great to have you. Welcome to the show. Hey, Daryl. Thanks for having me on. It was great to see you at Porkfest this year, too. Yes, it was. It's always great to see people at Porkfest that you generally only see like once, maybe twice a year. And hopefully in the not-too-distant future, Ben Stone might possibly be in New Hampshire more often than just during Porkfest. Yeah, my wife. Am I giving away like something that I, I don't think you may have released to the world yet? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I've hinted at it quite a few times, but my wife and I have seriously considered it. You know, it's so nice up there in the in the spring, summer, and fall that uh, it's it's hard to resist uh, the the allure of the whole area, in, uh, New Hampshire and Vermont, and the people are so nice up there. It's just unbelievable. Even people that are not in the Free State Project, just regular people you meet, you know, in a grocery store or whatever, they're just all so nice. And it, it's really drawing us in that direction. We're, we're having the motorhome and, uh, and traveling and so forth, we're uh, we're really comfortable with going down into the deep south for the winter, um, but uh, <laughs> to try to escape the cold. But yeah, we ha- we're strongly I don't blame you. We're strongly considering uh, at least for uh, like six or eight months of the year being up there. So, have you actually signed the Free State Project pledge yet? 
I, I have not. My um, the oddities of my Quaker beliefs prevent me from uh, committing myself to anything like that. Okay, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know a lot about Quakerism. I know that uh, Mark, who's one of the co-hosts or one of the hosts of Free Talk Live, is a Quaker, and he's discussed the beliefs a little bit. But I know that Quakers, if they testify in court, they will always say, I affirm instead of I swear when taking the oath of do you swear or affirm to tell the truth. It's always I, I either just I will tell the truth or I affirm. But I, I did not realize that signing something saying that I intend to do X is akin to taking an oath yeah there's no real hard lines in quakerism and so it's very much open to the individual individual interpretation uh and for me in in the reference to like testifying or so forth i would put it that um uh, well uh, the biblical way of saying it is let your yay be yay and your nay be nay in other words uh it's not a matter of discussion is this person telling the truth are they not telling the truth if they say magic words like I swear or I affirm, will that make them suddenly tell the truth? And to no. me, it's kind of a ridiculous premise. Either I'm speaking the truth or I'm not, and my reputation should precede me, and the person should recognize that either I am a truthful kind of a person who will tell the truth whenever possible, or I'm not. And so let my life be my judge and not uh, not some magic words that I say with my hands in the air or, or other magic, uh, you know, uh, dancing of some kind. Okay, and a quick question that I'm sure a lot of people have. What makes you a bad Quaker? Yeah, it is a really common question. The, the most obvious is that a what I would consider a good Quaker is also a pacifist. Now, you don't have to be a pacifist to be a Quaker, but in my mind, the, the, the perfect image of a Quaker is a pacifist who dresses simply, not necessarily like, a, uh, not like an Amish, but a simple dress, simple clothing, live a simple lifestyle, and, uh, and is a pacifist. And unfortunately, uh, for me, I, I'm just not suited to being a pacifist. I, I can barely hold myself within the zero aggression principle and not punch some people in the face sometimes. It's, you know, I struggle with myself because I have a very violent past and I want to be better than I am, but I just, uh, I just can't be a pacifist. So I believe in self-protection. I believe in protecting others. And also, um, I'm not good at all at going to a, a meeting of any kind. I, I, I really tend to shy away from meeting. And, uh, and, and that's one of the Quaker things. They like to have meetings together and get together and, and spend time together. And, and uh, for people that aren't familiar, the uh, Quaker meeting is essentially akin to like everybody else's church. Right, exactly. And I just am not comfortable in that. So I'm, I'm not a very good Quaker. I, I drive around in a $100,000 motorhome with uh, sometimes overly flashy clothes, you know, Harley symbols or things like that. And uh, uh, I definitely am armed in some way at all times, whether that be a, a gun or a knife or, or some other kind of weapon. I'm always ready to defend myself, my property, and those around me. So uh, in that sense, uh, I don't consider myself a good Quaker. Okay, that 
that's a very interesting answer. And I, I know that I've, I've personally read where you have the explanation up on your uh, website. But, I, you know, I'm not going to tell everybody. All right. You've got homework real quick <laughs> in the middle of the interview. Go read this. So I, I like the way you sort of explain that. And I think it's slightly different than what you have up on the website. But it, it still explains that, you know, you're not what would be considered a quote-unquote good Quaker. Yeah, most... But you still hold strong to the beliefs and your faith. So in that, I would say that you are a, you know, quote-unquote good Quaker. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Most Quakers and, would probably not consider me a, a very good Quaker. Yeah, I, I don't think that Quakers would really say that I'm a good Quaker. I've never claimed to be a Quaker, but I'm sure that... If I ever went to Quaker meeting, they would probably say, what is that guy doing here? <laughs> so how long have you been doing the Bad Quaker podcast? I believe the, let's see, I believe it's three years and about three months or so. so okay, so what made you decide to start doing a podcast? Well, I was going, uh, you know, I had like five or six identities on the internet, different names, and I was posting on on different locations, forums, and things like this, attempting to be anonymous, you know. And uh, eventually I had kind of settled down to one forum and one identity, and I was doing a lot of work there, a lot of moderating and a lot of writing, and really trying to keep that forum going and keep it active. And uh, actually the owner of the forum kind of asked me why I'm putting so much work into somebody else's product because he's making a living with that with that forum and he appreciated the work that I was doing. But at the same time he said, you know, basically, why are you putting this much effort into somebody else's product when you have your own product? All you have to do is put your name to it so people believe that it's really you and not some fake made up name like, like I was using. And, uh, and promote what you're doing, what you're saying. And it wasn't that he was kicking me off of his site. It was that he saw that I was wasting a lot of energy in a market that really wasn't suitable to, to the product that I had. So with that inspiration and the inspiration of several other people that were in support of me, we uh, established the Bad Quaker uh, website. And at first, I only wrote. I only did articles. But... To write an article, because I'm kind of a perfectionist, uh, it would take me sometimes 30 hours to write like a 1,500-word article. And so I figured out that if I just talked, then I could express myself, and any blunders in my voice or whatever would be just fine, and, uh, and I wouldn't have to spend all that time writing. So it's, it's, uh, the Bad Quaker podcast is, in a sense, an act of laziness. You know, I don't really think that it's lazy to record podcasts, but I I do understand what you're saying about, you know, sometimes it will take a while to write an article. I don't think it's ever taken me 30 hours to write one article, but I generally shoot for no more than 600 words just because, like, the 600-word limit is pretty much the cap of something that would get picked up by some newspaper somewhere. Ben, we're at the end of the segment, but I do have more questions for you. And of course you're going to be here the entire hour. So stay tuned more with 
Me, Daryl, and my guest, Ben Stone from the Bad Quaker Podcast. This is Peace, Love, Liberty Radio. Welcome back to Peace, Love, Liberty Radio. Now, before I get back to Ben Stone, I want to let you know about the guys at Red Pill Recording. They were at Porkfest, as was Ben and myself. And if you missed Ben at Porkfest, you can see the video of both of Ben's speeches or two of his. I, I don't know how many he gave exactly, but I know that at least two of the speeches have been recorded by Red Pill Recording. In total, they have over 57 hours of video. So go to their Facebook page, facebook.com slash Recording. You can see all of the videos when they post them and send them some donations. These guys are doing a lot of work. It's not just the fact that they did 57 hours of video recording during Porkfest. There's a lot of post-production that's being done where they have to sync up the audio with the video. That way it doesn't look like some bad 70s action uh, karate movie. So donate some Bitcoin to the guys over at Red Pill Recording and like their Facebook page, facebook.com slash Recording. And Ben, you're back on. Thank you so much. Again, thank you for taking time out of your day to come on the show and you explained how you got into doing the podcast. But the next question is probably a little trickier and hopefully you give a nice long-winded answer to how exactly did you come to the ideas of Liberty? Well, I I had a great mom and dad. Uh, My mom was a very skeptical Democrat Oh, I'm sorry, I got that backwards. My mom was a very skeptical Republican, and my dad was a very skeptical Democrat. So uh, even though they were stuck within the two-party way of thinking, uh, they both uh, looked at their parties and they looked at their at, at politics in general with a very skeptical eye. So, And my dad had a real sort of an anarchist streak in him. He, um, he uh, rode a motorcycle for years and years, uh, this is like late 40s through the 50s and never got a motorcycle license. He didn't think that that was uh, – he didn't think they should be able to force him to get a license. He flew an airplane. He flew private airplanes for years. All all of my memory as a child, uh, he flew – he owned and flew his, his own airplanes and never got a license. He didn't believe that the government owned the sky and so how could they tell him whether or not he needed a license? So that was the kind of uh, environment that I was raised in. Oh, and he was an inventor, too. He he made his living. There were times when he would have a job for a while, but mostly he made his living, as uh, as they say about um, Sherlock Holmes, he made his living by his wit. He would invent different things or um, you know start up a company and run it for a few years and then get tired of it. So I had this sort of an anarchist upbringing to a certain extent. And then by the time I was in my mid-teens... I had a few minor encounters with police, and I realized that they were literally a joke, that there was no morality involved in what they were doing, that they were simply uh, using a position to dominate people and extract money from the public. 
And that took me in the direction, uh, as a teenager, I started working with uh, the National Organization for Reform of Marijuana Laws. This was in the 1970s. And normal. I, yeah, okay. normal. And I was going door-to-door in the late 70s with a briefcase getting people to sign petitions in California to legalize marijuana. I went from there to encounters with libertarians in the, uh, in the 1980s. And the learning process uh, continued, and I learned a lot from the libertarians that I interacted with in the 80s. And in now, 19- quick question, uh-huh. when you say libertarians, do you mean small L libertarians or members of the Libertarian Party? Uh, these were actual Libertarian Party members, and I would okay. attend meetings and so forth. In 1988, I completely ab- I had I had been fooled by Ronald Reagan to a certain extent, even though I had the influence of the libertarians that, that were around me. I had still been fooled by Ronald Reagan by his talk, and by 1988. I tore up my Republican. Um, I was actually a stand-in delegate to the California National uh, to the California Republican Convention, and I tore up my my Republican membership card, mailed it back to them, and voted for Ron Paul in 1988, and that sort of put me on the slippery slope of sliding in towards anarchism and away from even libertarianism. My my daughter was essentially a, a natural anarchist right from the beginning. As a very young child, she, thought, she saw things in a very moral black and white way, which means if you really look at government in that sense, you can see that everything they do is violence, everything is, is aggression. Uh, they only have the tools of you know, intimidation and, and, uh, and aggression and theft and things like this. So as my daughter was growing up and as I was growing in my understanding of liberty and bumping into things like the writings of Murray Rothbard and things like this, uh, my daughter, as she got older, she started challenging me on the uh, libertarian things that I believed. And by, I would say, about 2002 or 2003, I had almost totally abandoned libertarian uh, thinking as far as – uh, libertarian Party thinking. And uh, by 2008, that was the last time I voted. I, I, the way I usually say it is I, I went in, I registered as a Republican so I could vote for Ron Paul, and then I washed my hands very thoroughly. And I have not voted since then. <laughs> but uh, I, I am so glad you did not say you voted for Bob Barr. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so uh, so after 2008 and through the encouragement of my daughter challenging me on every moral question that she could think of, I, I kind of came to a position where I could no longer even uh, support what might be considered a good candidate like, like a Ron Paul or, some, or someone like that. And I really began to analyze what it is uh, that I believe, why do I believe it, and can I pick apart what I believe and find the flaws in it? And so I kind of made that a hobby for a few years of just picking apart my own beliefs until I got down to the core of what was right and what was wrong. Now, I am so glad that you mentioned voting because I teased earlier that I want to have a friendly discussion about voting. Because I am of the mindset that one can vote in self-defense. And I'm 
almost certain that you've heard the theory about voting in self-defense. And I've listened to enough of your podcast to know that you don't believe that. Or you, you might believe that it's possible, but you still say that it's immoral to cast a ballot. And I, I'm just trying to tease here because we don't have time to actually start the discussion in this segment. So when, when I hear you say that voting is immoral, my thinking of immoral is you know something that is always wrong. It is always wrong to murder someone. So when I hear voting is immoral, I'm thinking voting is akin to murder. Maybe you have a different definition of immoral. If you do, I want to find out. And if not, we're still going to have a friendly discussion. Welcome back to Peace, Love, Liberty Radio, online at radio.fpp.cc. And while you're there listening to the archives or just trying to figure out when you can hear the live show or when you can hear the encore. If you like the show and you like the other things that you find on the website there, including the monthly newspaper that you can find at news.fpp.cc or even the other articles and posts that get shared on the main site. If you like what I do, consider becoming one of my fans. Fans are friends, allies, and numerary supporters. And you can become one of my fans for as little as $3 a month. Or if you would rather donate Bitcoins, you can become one of my fans by sending any amount of Bitcoin per month. Thanks to the people over at Coinbase. They have set up a recurring Bitcoin payment system so that you can make that recurring monthly payment using Bitcoin. You can do that there or find out more about the fans program at fans.fpp.cc. Ben Bad Quaker Stone is my guest. And Ben, now comes the fun. Hopefully this is a fun discussion. I, I want it to be fun. I, I don't want it to be where we're yelling at one another, and I don't think that we will. Where you say that voting is immoral, and I, I've already defined what I think when I hear the term immoral. It, do you have a different definition, or do you consider casting a ballot for none of the above to be the moral equivalent of murdering someone. Well, uh, if we're looking at what is uh, is moral, um, and and we begin to define the word, I would take us first to the non-aggression principle or the zero aggression principle, and um, certainly aggression, which is the initiation of violence upon a person or their property, is immoral in my opinion, and so. Uh, but but this is a wide scope. Let's say we're sitting on a bus together. You're in front of me. I'm behind you on the bus, and I reach over and I get a hold very carefully, get a hold of one hair on the back of your neck, and I yank on it. Well, that would be an act of aggression. It would be immoral, but it would certainly be different from say if I put a gun to your back of your head and killed you. It would still be immoral, but the degree of which it's uh, uh, harmful would be a, a vast difference. So we have things that are of the same uh, kind. They are similar, 
but in kind, but they are different in degree. So uh, then again, if if uh, let's say that I use if I use the the aggression of government to uh, let's say I'm in a position of power and I can use government to bomb a village in Afghanistan simply because there might be one bad guy there. Okay, well that's an act of an aggression and it's horrible, and I'm killing yes, innocent people. Yes, and I, I agree. Right. On the other hand, if I use uh, the power of government to accomplish some other thing that I'm trying to accomplish, even if um, even if that's a very mild thing, I'm still using aggression because any act of government is an act of aggression. Government cannot uh, they cannot do anything essentially. They can't you know send a piece of paper through the mail without aggression. They can't turn on the lights of a city building without aggression. It all it's all paid for through theft. And through coercion. So anything that government does, to some degree, is an act of aggression. So if I utilize the the uh, power of government to do anything on my behalf, then I am, to some degree, utilizing aggression. And then if we take voting, and I, and I like to separate voting into two different things. Is it moral and is it functional? And I tend, and this might be a little bit of a foil haddish, but I tend to believe that the vast majority of elections around the world uh, are fake. They they either don't count the ballots, I would agree, or they count them in such a way they leave out the ones they don't want or whatever. And we saw that with the Ron, with the latest Ron Paul campaign in 2012, there was horrible fraud that took place. Uh, so, from a practical point of view, the odds of your voting actually doing anything uh, is pretty thin. So in so using that as an and argument... Hold on. Go ahead. But before you continue, mm-hmm. I would agree that you know the odds of my ballot being the deciding vote for anything is, I, I would say, infinitely, you know, like infinity over one. Because in 90 plus percent of elections i write in none of the above because i don't want anyone to have the position that you know somebody is being elected to there are you know very few cases in which i will actually cast a vote for someone that is on the ballot and then in i would say 99.9% of those cases the person has explicitly said, if elected, I will do everything I can to roll back the size of government. And in a few cases, they've actually said, I will do everything I can to get rid of government. So I see my casting a ballot as being in self-defense. And as I said, I'm fairly certain you're familiar with the... uh, Theory of voting and self-defense. Am I being presumptuous here? Oh no, I, I've I've uh, had that explained thoroughly, and used to believe it actually. Um, and so, so we're in a lot of areas of agreement here in in what we believe. Um, I take that I take the more the voting into the moral realm, though, and I say uh, at least even if you're not effective, even if your vote doesn't really do anything. Even if you know the old the old image of a voting machine had a handle on the side, sort of like a slot, old slot machines had, and even if that handle's not attached to anything and the whole thing is totally fake, it's still your intent 
um, to utilize the mechanisms of government to your own uh, to your own will, even if that's to shrink government or if it's to dissolve government or whatever, you're still you're still attempting to influence the government itself to do your bidding, essentially. Even if your bidding is good, even if you believe your bidding to be good, you're still utilizing an evil means to do it. Uh, it may be very, very minor in comparison to bombing a village in Afghanistan, but the fact is you're still utilizing the government and the government system, the government's voting machines, the lights that light the building, the, uh, you know, the actual paper, the ink that's printed on that, all of that stuff is uh, acquired through theft and through intimidation and through violence. So even if you were to use, even if you could successfully vote government away, uh, you would be using the arm of government and specifically democracy to accomplish that. And I believe democracy in its core root is immoral. The idea that three people telling a fourth person what to do I believe that always to be an immoral situation. And again, I would agree with you. And the article that I wrote last week that was published on FPP.cc, which is my website, was an article. I forget the exact title. Give me five seconds and I can find that for you. But it was uh, why, essentially why I hate democracy. And it was for exactly the reasons you just said that, you know, two people have one other and what to do or three people should not be able to tell the fourth or five people should not be able to tell four other people what to do. Uh, the actual title of the article is Democracy, the Enemy of Freedom. And I believe that you would agree with something that I wrote in that article. I'll read it to you in the final segment. And there's a couple other questions that I have for you, not necessarily about voting, because I, I think we had a good friendly discussion on that. But I definitely want to read one thing from this article, Democracy, the Enemy of Freedom. Stay tuned. This is Peace, Love, Liberty Radio. Folks, there's only a finite supply of gold and silver in the world. However, politicians can print paper on a whim forever and ever. Hedge yourself against inflation and a volatile stock market by purchasing gold and silver bullion from Amagai Metals. As inflation gets worse, it will become more difficult to buy gold and silver. So secure your financial freedom today by visiting amagimetals.com. That's A-M-A-G-I-M-E-T-A-L-S dot com. Or you can give them a call at 1-800-882-8496. That's 1-800-882-8496, where financial freedom is yours. And be sure and tell them badquaker.com sent you. Need to talk to people in a secure manner? Liberty Private Network sells phones that will work over any good internet connection and give you military-grade encryption for calls that cannot be tapped. Great for lawyers and clients, business people with trade secrets, or just ordinary folk who don't want their love talk spied on by some scumbag from the central scrutinizer. Call 516-TLKSAFE on your non-secure phone and tell them the Freedom Fiends sent you. That's 516-TLK-SAFE. Welcome back to Peace, Love, Liberty Radio. 
This is the final segment. I know it's hard to believe that two hours can go by so fast. Ben Stone, before I get back to talking with you, I just want to read the last paragraph from the article that I wrote last week, Democracy, the Enemy of Freedom. And I want you to tell me if you agree with this. Okay. I long for the day when democracy, much like slavery, is viewed not only as a thing of the past, but also as a system that never should have existed. No government or society should be able to claim a monopoly over any geographic area, and every individual should be able to give his consent to and or withdraw his consent from any government at any time. In fact, I recall being taught that governments exist with the consent of the governed, and can someone choose to not consent? If not, then how is this forced consent any different than a contract signed under duress? Ben, your thoughts? I would agree 100%, absolutely. Okay, good. Uh, I'm I'm glad that we agree enough to where it was a civil discussion on voting and I still believe that one can vote in self-defense and you still do not believe that but that's fine because nobody's forcing you to agree with me right can I tell a little story absolutely there's an old Quaker story and some people say it's not true. Uh, some people say that it's a made-up story. But uh, whether it is an actual true story or whether it's made up, it, the the print the point in the story is really good. I believe um, there was, a, according to the story, there was a, a guy who was a very well-known uh, Quaker minister and one of the main Quaker leaders and one of the founders. And another young man came to him who had only uh, just become a Quaker. And the young man says to the to the elder Quaker, he says, uh, you know, I really uh, believe the things that you're saying, and I really want to be a good Quaker, and I want to uh, act uh, in the ways that you teach. He says, but I have a problem. Um, I carry a sword, and I have carried a sword all my life, and several times I've had to, because of the circumstances, I've had to draw my sword in self-defense. And, uh, and I'm not comfortable walking around on city streets without my sword. And he says, I, I realize that as a Quaker, I have to be a pacifist, or I should be a pacifist. But I, when I get up in the morning and I get dressed, I just don't feel comfortable unless I have my sword. And the elder Quaker looks at him and he says, then wear your sword. Wear it as long as you can. And the younger Quaker sort of accepted that and walked away. And what he meant by that was, as long as your conscience doesn't strike you, then wear the sword. At some point in time, if you pursue the desire for peace, then, you know, this is sort of uh, unspoken into the message. At some point in time, if you desire to walk in the world of peace, then at some point you'll leave the sword behind. But as long as you're comfortable carrying it, carry it. And uh, some time went by, and the younger Quaker again found the, the elder Quaker, and the elder Quaker looked at him and said, you're not wearing your sword. And he said, I wore it as long as I could, 
and then I just couldn't wear it anymore. And I look at that in voting. You know, I voted for as long as I could, and then the time came when I just couldn't do it anymore. And I don't judge anybody for continuing to vote. Um, but for me, uh, I'm not able to. I'm not able to utilize the, the violence of government, uh, even if it's to kill government. Does that make any sense? That makes perfect sense. And I like the way you said that for you it is wrong. Because I, I'm one of these people that I believe that, you know, wrong is wrong. It's, you know, murder is always murder and theft is always theft. There's never, well, for me, it's okay to steal a Klondike bar from the grocery store, but for you, it's wrong. You know, because th- wrong is always wrong. So when I hear somebody say, you know, voting is immoral. I'm hearing it's always wrong to do, even if you're basically defending yourself from the government. So I I think we've got it cleared up. And I have a couple questions for you. You mentioned that your father was a bit of an inventor. And, you know, I I know the way inventions operate as, as far as, you know, if you want people to buy it, you have to protect your idea to where you know not everybody's selling the Ben Stone magic water or whatever it is that was created so what's your opinion of intellectual property uh, much like my father I don't believe it's legitimate uh, my father refused to ever uh, get a patent or copyright of any kind on anything that he made uh, he by doing that he actually lost several fortunes. Um, where large companies either swooped in and patented what he had already invented or where, in one case, a a large chemical corporation utilized uh, an an old sort of obscure patent to stop him from doing the uh, from using the invention that he had invented. So he was uh, he was very much against. Uh, intellectual property back before it was cool. This is in the 60s and the 70s. So actually, the first time he was, uh, in essence, robbed by the patent system was in the 50s when he invented the uh, the system that used to be in all gas stations that organized the um, uh, 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 water, uh, hmm, what are they called, the radiator uh, fan belts and the radiator uh, tubes that carry the water back and forth from the engine to the radiator. He invented okay. a system of organizing those and essentially like half a clothes hanger sticking out of a wall that you could put those on and put them around the, the ceiling of a, uh, gr- of, a, of a garage or a gas station. He invented that system and almost immediately as soon as he invented it, another co- company uh, patented it and then went all over the United States and sold them. So by the mid-50s, they were literally in every gas station in America. And he, his invention made you know a lot of money for this other company. So not only did he not believe in IP, um, but he put, you know, he, he put action to it. He refused to patent his inventions even to the point of, of other people stealing them from him. No, that's amazing because there are not that many inventors that, you know, opt to not patent their, uh, you know, I, I say their their invention because I, I believe and I it sounds as though you and your father believe this as well, that 
multiple people can have the same idea at the same time. Right, and I can't control your thoughts, and I can't control what you see and copy. So if you see, you know, if, I, um, if I'm going down the street whistling a tune, and you hear that tune and you like it and you start whistling it, how, how could I possibly have any control over your thoughts and your actions like that? So, yeah, uh, I don't see IP as being legitimate in any way. Yeah, and again, going back to the quote from my article last week about democracy, the uh, copyright law and patent law, it's essentially a forced contract because I never signed a contract when I picked up a book that I will not share any of the ideas that I get from this book. But then if I share the ideas, somebody can come and attempt to sue me for you know, some copyright infringement because I used an idea that they supposedly came up with. Yeah, it's a really strange way of thinking that, that someone would have the right to do that, it, you know, to, to control your behavior like that. It's a really odd yep. way of thinking. Got about 20 seconds, Ben. Uh, Anything that you want to promote, your website, your podcast, anything that you have planned for the future? Sure. Uh, we're at badquaker.com. That's B-A-D-Q-U-A-K-E-R.com. And we do have a forum. I haven't been very busy on the forum lately because of travel. Travel, excuse me. But uh, but I plan to get back on the forum and get active with that. And uh, we, we like to travel around with the motorhome, my wife and I, and go to different Liberty events. And uh, maybe maybe we'll see uh, some of the listeners there. Just come right up to me. I'm easy to spot. All right. Thank you, Ben Stone. This is Peace, Love, Liberty Radio. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. That was me, Ben Stone, talking with uh, Daryl Perry on Peace, Love, Liberty Radio. And uh, you can find that on lrn.fm. Um, but it was a lot of fun talking to Daryl, and I was uh, honored to be on his show. And I appreciate that. And one of these days, maybe I can get Daryl over on the uh, Bad Quaker podcast and I can hit him with a few questions about why he moved to the Free State Project and, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, hopefully that'll happen pretty soon. Folks, thanks for listening today. And remember to visit badquaker.com where liberty is our mission. Thanks a lot, folks.